This podcast is for general educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered medical, practice management, legal, investment, or other professional advice. No one should act or refrain from acting based on this podcast without obtaining appropriate professional advice. We were the first generation of GI guys to actually do endoscopy. I mean, to do it all the time. So we mastered it. That became that became services, products, and you could you could build a business around this. Then we got to build ambulatory surgery centers. And from that, we could build pathology labs. We, we could build anesthesia departments. We could build infusion centers. It, we have lived through a golden age for a physician who's a problem solver and who's a builder and always thinks life can be made better by building. It, it, fit, it fits us perfectly. Welcome to Gastro Broadcast, presented by Gastrologics. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Weinstein, and I'm very excited to have this week's guest. Dr. Larry Kaczynski is formerly one of the managing partners of the Illinois Gastroenterology Group. Dr. Kaczynski founded Sonar MD and now serves as its chief medical officer. He's a frequent lecturer, an author, and has represented gastroenterologists at the highest levels of our societies and on Capitol Hill. Dr. Kaczynski is also a world-renowned podcast host with his show, The Scope with Dr. K on the Healthcare Now radio podcast network. I was honored to be on his show last year, and I'm happy he's able to join us today on Gastro Broadcast. Dr. Kaczynski, welcome. Thank you, Michael. It's an honor to be on your show now, and I hope I only hope I can do as good of a job as you did on mine. Well, Turnabout is fair play. Um, so tell me, uh, when, did, when did you know that you wanted to be a gastroenterologist? How did you decide to go into private practice? A, a question everybody, I'm sure, asks you. Well, I had a very circuitous route to get to gastroenterology. In medical school, believe it or not, I actually wanted to be a neurologist. I was accepted at UCLA's neurology program. Then I went to a code blue on the neuro unit and saw how all the internal medicine docs took over control. And I said, I am not pigeonholing myself into a specialty that didn't allow a broad knowledge of medicine. So I said, I'm going to do internal medicine and then I'm doing neurology. Well, as my knowledge of internal medicine grew and my residency was clear, I was never going to be a neurologist. But my scientific passions actually led me first into endocrinology, and I did half of an endocrine fellowship. I did all the clinical years. But my research is what got me to GI. My research was on the changes in thyroxine binding globulin in patients with cirrhosis. So I got to spend a lot of time with the GI guys, the fellows, the attendings. I fell in love with GI. There's so many organs in the GI tract, each with its own set of conditions. I mean, those cardiologists think they're cool, but they got one organ. The pulmonologists, yeah, they got two, but they're both identical. Look what we have. We have all these organs. It's intellectually very challenging, especially IBD and liver disease, and you get to do procedures. And one of the biggest things that I loved about GI, your patients don't usually die. They become chronic relationships for you. So 
you know, the choice in GI, I, I have, I fit. I was made to go into gastroenterology and private practice. I always wanted to be a real doc. I wanted to always want to be a real doc taking care of real patients. And I never even considered doing anything else other than that. Well, that's, that's very, you know, it's interesting because we have very, we have very similar sort of uh, career paths. Um, and so this question is also similar probably is what happened as a gastroenterologist that got you interested in the business side of medical practice? Well, I've always been a data geek. I probably should wear a geek button because even back in the 1980s, I was creating relational databases using an Apple IIc computer that didn't even have a hard drive. And I was always trying to figure out how to do things, how to do things better in the practice. Well, you know, over the years, uh, I, I've been able to practice during an era of gastroenterology, which fit my entrepreneurial spirit. Because just think of what's happened, Mike, during the course of our our careers. You know, we went, we were the first generation of GI guys to do it all the time. So we mastered it. That became, that became services, products, and, and you could, you could build a business around this. Then we got to build ambulatory surgery centers. And from that, we could build pathology labs. We, we could build anesthesia departments. We could build infusion centers. It, we have lived through a golden age for a physician who's a problem solver and who's a builder and always thinks life can be made better by building it, it fit it fits us perfectly and you and i have had very similar experiences. yeah very similar and again also similar so you you did all these things you you built all these businesses and and then decided to go back to school? I did. Well, if you remember in the in the 1990s, okay, so I was out 10 years. So you know what you're doing. You know how to do a colonoscopy. You know how to take care of a patient. You, you pretty much know what you're gonna do with a patient within a minute of seeing this patient. And what happened? The plug got pulled unplugged. Ficor was there. Med Partners was there. I saw friends of mine selling their practices to these new companies and I said, wow, I know a lot of medicine, but I don't know anything about business. And so I thought, if I'm gonna to go to business school, I'm gonna to go to one of the best places I can find and I'm gonna give it my all. And I'll never forget when I went to Northwestern for, for uh, a consultation interview, I said, do I have to take any testing? And, she, and they said, no doctor. You've taken plenty of tests in your life. We, you don't need to take you know, any GREs or anything like that. So, you know, it was a wonderful experience. I did not do a, a medical MBA. I did a standard MBA. And I, I think that was good because I got to learn from all those other people and realized that medicine is just another business. It has its own nuances and complexities, but so do all of theirs. And I probably learned as much from the other people in the class as I did from taking the classes. So it was a great experience. One of the one of the most interesting classes. Every year, your first year is a living week. 
And so the first year living week, they, they taught you organizational behavior. Basically, how do we all work with each other? Well, the second year, it was negotiations. And they flew in 20, 20 Kellogg students from Kellogg Tel Aviv. And they created 20 work groups. So there was a Tel Aviv student in each one of our groups. And they reshuffled all our groups. And none of us were in the same group that we were in before the first year. And they taught us a class at negotiations. If you can, if you can negotiate with someone from Kellogg of Tel Aviv, you know how to negotiate. That was that was my, probably my favorite class in MBA as well. Is uh, negotiation is recognizing and has been my philosophy that in any negotiation, both sides have to win. Uh, that any negotiation that leads to a winner and a loser is probably not that's not a successful negotiation right right so i think we're probably very similar there i know you so um i'm sure you are a win-win person everybody yeah. has to at least, at least think they won <laughs> <laughs> well exactly ex- everybody has to leave the table thinking they're feeling, <laughs> feeling like they got something yeah. Yeah. um and probably one of the other things I learned in negotiation that was important is it's a lot easier to negotiate to success if you can make the pie bigger. Yes. If you get more things on the table, then there's more things to divide up. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. Um, so uh, you, you, you do all this business stuff. And then uh, Sonar. Sonar MD is a remote monitoring and uh, care coordination program. I have been fascinated with this since you came up with the idea um, for IBD, for inflammatory bowel disease. And you know that my group, Capital Digestive Care, has been interested and has used the program. Uh, and that monitoring chronic disease plays a significant role as we sort of develop these value-based care options. Tell us about the beginning of Sonar MD and how the program is evolving. Well, the, the beginning is an interesting story. Um, I was the chairman of the Practice Management and Economics Committee for the AGA at the time. And, and coming on for a three-year stint, I wanted to accomplish something. And something that's always made me uneasy about GI is that we don't have enough of a diversified revenue stream. Too much of our our revenue is emanating from five CPT codes for colonoscopy. You know, so many of our additional revenue streams are, are hinged to that. So I thought, okay, how do I help my colleagues diversify their revenue stream? And so the, the, the most significant illness we take care of is IBD, liver disease too, but IBD is really very significant. And so I went to Blue Cross Blue Shield, Illinois, and practiced in Chicago, and I just wanted data from them. I was asking them for what does it cost to take care of Crohn's? I don't know whether they knew or not, but uh, it took about three meetings of begging before they realized this guy's crazy. He doesn't want a new contract. He's not trying to get more money from us. He just wants data. So they gave me data. They gave me an enormous data set, more than I think they really wanted to give me. But I got every claim on every one of 21,000 Crohn's patients on a 48 month, on a 24 month period. So I had two years of claims on every patient. And it, it took us a while to analyze this, um, but there were there was a major aha moment that occurred. Crohn's has a 17% hospitalization 
And so, and looking at the 30 days before each of those hospital admissions in those 21,000 people, I wanted to see what happened. How, why did they wind up in the hospital? Well, in over two thirds of the patients, there wasn't a CPT code in the 30 days before the admission. Nothing, not a CPC, not an office visit, nothing. And so we interviewed patients and we heard the same refrains I heard and Mike, I'm sure you've heard when you're standing next to their bed in the emergency room, you know, when you say, why didn't you call me? And you hear, ah, I've had this before. I thought it would go away. Oh, I thought I had the flu. Oh, my wife this, my husband this, my job this. And you realize this, this is my first aha moment. I thought these people aren't Crohn's patients. They're human beings with lives who just happen to have Crohn's. And they go off the cliff before they realize that they're deteriorating. And so a couple of days later, my second aha moment came. I was watching the hunt for Red October. And when Sean, <laughs> when Sean Connery says, send them one ping, Captain, I said, I need a sonar system. That's what I need. I need to send out pings to these patients so that a healthcare professional can determine when these people are deteriorating. So I created this crude system using a patient portal and anybody who messes with a patient portal knows that there are abominations most of the time. They're not designed to be customized. So I sent out all these surveys and I took 50 patients with Crohn's and we followed them for a year and sent them monthly questionnaires. And lo and behold, only one of them got admitted to a hospital. So we went back to Blue Cross and we said, see what we did, see what we did. And Blue Cross at the time was looking for something other than a primary care medical home. And they decided to make us their first intensive medical home that they'd ever done with a specialty group. That's how Sonar started. And so we were off and running. This was like 2015, 2016, sending these pings out on the portal. But then I found a company uh, in suburban Chicago who could take what I made on the portal and move it to the web. So we were really flying then. And after a year, we realized we lowered hospital costs by over 50%. We lowered emergency room costs by over 70%. I published it at DDW, presented it as a, a, a distinguished abstract. We got to present an oral abstract at DDW on it. And then Blue Cross said, well, can you put this in other practices? I said, I think I can do that. And so now I need a company. So I formed SonarMD LLC. And I partnered with the company that did the technology development for me, which in retrospect might not have been the best decision, but they were good. They, they knew what they were doing, but they had different motivations. And I realized they needed outside investors. And we had our offices at this incubator at the Merchandise Mart here in Chicago called Matter. And the Sandbox Industries, which is the company that runs the investments for the entire Blue Cross Venture Fund for all the 34 Blue Cross plans, came into Matter and did a shark tank. I said, I could do this. So I was the only one in a suit and tie. I was twice as old as most of the people, including the people who I was pitching to, but I had a contract. I had a business with revenue and they liked that. And so Blue Ventures agreed to invest in and then Another uh, venture capital firm, Arboretum Ventures, uh, because of Tom Shehab, who's a 
gastroenterologist and a VC for them. Um, they together invested, gave us seed money in 2018. We got our first contract with uh, a Blue Cross plan outside of Illinois. They gave us Series A funding. So, you know, we were up and running. We, we grew, we built the, the corporation in 2019 um, to, I think we've got 22 or 23 employees right now. And we are now in multiple states. We're about ready to close on a contract for in a state with a good friend of ours that uh, uh, I probably shouldn't mention yet because it's not signed yet. You don't <laughs> mention anything to it's signed. Um, but we're growing across the country. And now, you know, we're actually even considering whether a specialty ACO model might fit into this. So, it, you know, the success builds more opportunities for us. Um, the one thing that is really important to, for everybody to know here is we have to create solutions that fit into what the payers need. And the payers have very definite desires these days. And most of it comes down to they don't want to take any risk. They want to push the risk off elsewhere. But, you know, we're moving, we're moving forward across the country in a lot of different places. And, and Sonar's uh, developed. We have some new initiatives. Uh, I, I, yeah. tell, tell me, tell me about what's new, Larry. Um, it's a great entrepreneurial story of, uh, initiative and striking the right chord with insurance companies. And where does Sonar MD, where does your technology go next? Well, we have in, uh, December of 2019, we bought a company named Trigger. And Trigger was in the opioid uh, disease space, but they had a wonderful platform. They had a technology platform that was bringing in um, machine learning and artificial intelligence, and we bought them. We went live with that. That platform is now our platform, and it allows us to optimize the care coordination space. So what we're doing right now is instead of human beings on phones talking to patients, we're building bots. And we're building, we're building communication that automates the questions, the cascading sets of questions, and it automates and standardizes how the responses come back so we can tie an outcome to an action. So that's one place where we're, we're working today. Um, the second thing, and this is, this is really, um, I hesitate even saying it, but I can never control what I say. Um, so the second thing is right now, Sonar is picking up symptoms and that most often means there's something going on. If we look at those people with a scope, most of those people are going to have some kind of a endoscopic finding that we're going to have to be able to confirm. Wouldn't it be nice to be able to push the detection even earlier or or avoid the need for uh, any kind of detection. And so there's so much work that's been done on diet and IBD. And certainly for patients who have mild to moderate disease or disease that is at low activity levels, diet can become important. Every nurse will tell you that they can tell you which rooms the patients are in that have GI bleeds and which rooms the patients are in that have C. diff. There's odors that come off 
stool. Um, and that could be a passive biometric for monitoring of dietary intake. And so we've been studying monitors because the other thing that's happened, great things happen when there's developments in multiple in different industries that can come together. And you've all probably noticed that there's these uh, air quality sensors are everywhere. Well, they're picking up volatile organic compounds in the air. And that may be useful. So we've been studying the, the ability to capture patterns of volatile organic compounds post-defecation to see if we couldn't passively monitor patients' adherence to certain diets. That is fascinating information, Larry. I think most of us know when we've eaten certain foods, right? We can smell certain things. And we know that dogs can hear things that we can't hear. I am sure there are things that I cannot smell either. So very interesting potential technology to use and certainly makes perfectly good sense to me. Yeah, an e-nose, an electronic nose, and who knows where this is going to go. But that's been that's been my most recent uh, interest of late. Cool technology, very cool. So now that you've become this great entrepreneur, and we know that we have all these younger people listening, what advice would you share? now with all these years of experience with a young physician who's considering a career in private practice or academics and what things should they be focusing on to be successful in private practice well in private practice depends if they have an entrepreneurial side um if they're like you and i and have this disease of having an entrepreneurial side my best advice to the young physician in private practice, two things. Number one, choose the right practice to join. And I'll, I'd like to go into that a little bit. But secondly, master something. Master that colonoscopy. Get so good at doing that colonoscopy that your mind can open and allow you to think about other things. And so that takes focus and concentration but you gotta be in the right environment. You gotta be in the right, the right kind of practice. And I've always, I've always said that choosing a practice is like choosing a wine. Now that might sound goofy, but when I'm done, you'll see it makes some sense. So how many times have you been at a restaurant and you get, you look at the wine list and you wanna show everybody how great you choose wines and you don't recognize one wine on that list and that's no accident because the, the restaurants buying from small vineyards and and you're not expected to know all these small vineyards so what do you do well the first fee is the varietal if you're eating a steak do you want a cab if you're you're eating some fish do you want a peanut well if you're picking a practice what kind of variety of practice do you want do you want to be an academic physician do you want to do research do you want to be in private practice and, and, and 
I use the term be a real doctor. I didn't mean anything negative for the academics, but you know, do you want to be out there taking care of patients and not doing this? And so your variety of practice is, is your first decision. Your second decision is you're picking your wine, you know you want to have a cab, you can't recognize, well, the village, the area, the area. You might know that you know you love a, car, a cab from Carneros, so you, you pick the wine that came from Carneros. Well, with a practice, and sometimes this isn't always your own, your, your complete choice because you have a spouse and family and stuff, but your region, make sure you you go into a region that's going to sustain you. Uh, you're going to have a 40-year career, so you got to pick the kind of practice you want. You've got to pick the, 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 the village, the area, but then looking at the practice, uh, you know, with the wine, the next thing you would look at would be the vintage, the year. So you might not know the vineyard, but if you know the kind of wine, the region, and the year, you're pretty close because God doesn't care who owns the vineyard. He's going to shine the same sun and rain on, on, the, on the area. So, so with the practice, you know, what's important is you gotta, you got to know that, that, that vintage is right. Are you the only young guy going into a practice with a bunch of old guys? Look for a ladder of ages. The healthiest GI practices around have ladders of age. They have been adding new doctors over the years. And you know what? That's good for the old guys. It's good for the young guys. We learn from each other and you continue to do that over time. And so, you know, that vintage is important. Then, then finally, the final decision is the vineyard. And, you know, if you know the vineyard, you, you know what it's going to taste like. Well, the vineyard is the practice you're choosing. And you got to know, how is it governed? Is there adequate investment going forward? Do they, do they dominate their area? Or are you, be, are you being expected to go in and, and be the pioneer to bring new business into the, into the practice? You know, you got to be able to look at the financials. If they can't show you the financials, I don't know if you ought to join the, join the practice. And so transparency, how is it run? How is, how is it governed? Uh, do you have an ability, you know, to go up the ranks over time? Um, are you going to be shown the respect that you're going to need to be able to make a successful career in that practice? So think about your four V's, you know, just like you do with a wine pick your practice right and uh, learn something really well. Learn that colonoscopy really well. And uh, if you're an entrepreneur, then you'll have extra energies to expend outside of what you're doing. That's really great advice. I will be probably using that when I talk to an associate, telling them how fine a wine <laughs> how fine a wine capital digestive care is. I really appreciate that. Um, I know I will tell our listeners that they can find out more information about Sonar MD and the scope with Dr. K online. We'll definitely reach out uh, again, Larry. I really thank you for your time and look forward to seeing you again soon where we can literally share some wine. Absolutely, Michael. I look forward to it too. We're both vaccinated. That time is right around the corner. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Gastro Broadcast. 
Find new episodes through Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. For information about our hosts, guests, and supporters, visit gastrobroadcast.com. Produced by Steadfast Collaborative.